down here at the church. If you're turning your Bibles tonight to the book of Nehemiah, to the first chapter, and we've really just done the introduction, and so now we're going back to chapter 1, verse 1, to begin uh, really the actual study uh, here in the Word, apart from the introduction. And the study tonight is of walls and prayer. And as we begin tonight, um, I, I want to remind you of a couple of very simple things. God, in fact, raised up the Babylonian Empire to destroy Jerusalem. It was God's doing. Your Bible declares that. And when people are in rebellion and disobedient, the Lord will do what he needs to do to get their attention. And if we, in our humanness, have built up walls that ought not be in place because we stay behind them and we don't do business with God, then God will tear them down. And that is the picture here in chapter 1. We're going to see that Nehemiah responds in this amazing prayer here in chapter 1. We're going to take the whole chapter tonight. I believe we can get it done. And really it's the prayer of Nehemiah, but tonight of walls and prayer. Would you pray with me? Father God, I want to pray tonight. I have no doubt that there are people here tonight that have placed walls in their lives of things that do not belong there. God, that there are times in our lives when we hide behind uh, the, the effects of our sin. We hide behind the habits that we've engaged in. We hide behind the unbelief. We hide behind lack of faith. God, we hide behind open rebellion at times. And just as you did in the lives of your chosen people, Israel, so you will do in ours. And so, Lord, tonight we pray that there would be some self-examination before we begin Before we look at your word, would we turn our attention fully to your spirit? That, God, you would move in this place tonight. Encourage us, empower us, use this time for your glory, we pray. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Verses 1 through 4. And here it includes the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month of Sheslev. In the twentieth year, I was at Sushan, the citadel, and that Han and I, one of my brethren, came with the men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity and in the province there are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates burned with fire. And so it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down, and I wept, and I mourned for many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so we have this opening several verses here for chapter 1. And we looked at them briefly, but really as we did the introduction, didn't really take them. And and I want to encourage you that whenever you look at the Old Testament, though it is often pertaining uh, to the times that these words were written, it also has a message for us. And here's the message for us, I believe. Uh, Perhaps the greatest evil of our day is the danger of secular humanism. And that is that we make man the center of life. 
And as we make man the center of life, we kick God out of his rightful place in our lives. He becomes a peripheral issue. He becomes someone that really is unimportant. And I think perhaps the greater tragedy that goes with that is that most, if not many Christians, live their lives almost without God. They've received Him as Savior. They believe by faith they're one day going to heaven. But God is not an integral part of their life. And that was exactly what had happened with the children of Israel. They were God's chosen people, but they had long ceased relying on God. They had, in fact, become self-dependent. Their prayers were meaningless. Their lives were governed by the flesh. And it was because of that that they came upon this time in their history. It's very easy to think that we can depend upon our own abilities. It's very easy to dismiss the place that God ought to have in our lives, in the harriedness, in the busyness of life. When you do that, you're in grave danger, because ultimately you will begin to construct walls to protect yourself. And as you do that, you may be safe for a while behind those walls, but they will also be your death. The book of Nehemiah opens with this tragic description. The people are in trouble. A hundred years have now passed since the walls were torn down, broken down by the Babylonian invasion of 586 B.C. It's now 445 B.C. There's been two groups that have returned back to Jerusalem from Babylon uh, there is no historical evidence whatsoever that during that time that anything good had happened in Jerusalem. So if you take from the time of the initial Babylonian invasion to the time of the end of Daniel's captivity to this time, perhaps as much as 160 years has gone by. And in 160 years, that which was sacred and that which was holy and that which was built to protect the name of the Lord. And you must grasp this. The city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, was God's city. And it was there because it was God's place. It was the location of the temple of Yahweh, Lord of hosts. And the people who dwelled there had the very special privilege of dwelling in the shadow of the Most High God. And they had turned those walls into nothing more than a place of merchandise. They had become a safety net for their sin. They had fortified themselves to the point that they actually withstood the Assyrian invasion. The Assyrians had come and they had taken captive 11 of the 12 tribes. All that's left is Judah. And Judah fortifies itself in Jerusalem. Not because they were holy, because they were faithless. Because they did not trust the Lord. And this is the message for us. We can build things up in our lives that take the place of God that literally we hide behind. The historical evidence is actually extremely clear. And in fact, 
As you go to Jerusalem today, you'll go to the western slope and there will be a, a place of ruin and rubble. And that whole slope is literally the, the stones that were overturned by the Babylonians and left in ruin. They lie in ruin uh, today at the base of a new wall. This was a time in Israel's history that uh, really, it almost sounded like a refrain from David's 137th Psalm. It says there in verses 1 through 4, By the rivers of Babylon there we sat down and wept. We remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst we hung our harps, for our captors demanded us to sing songs, and our tormentors demanded mirth of us, saying, Sing us one of your songs of Zion. How long can we sing the Lord's songs in a foreign land? They had been given much mercy and much grace. And they had squandered it. And so as we open this time tonight, think of your own life in that regard. What have you done with what the Lord has given you? Where, where is your safety? Where is your security? Is it in the Lord, or is it in something that you have built in your life to please you? Really, we need to come to terms with the truth about our own walls. And when you do that, when you inspect, as Hakaliah did here, and Hanani comes back, and as these men of Judah returned with the report, what do you do when you get the news that things aren't as they should be? You see, the Holy Spirit's faithful to do that. Amen? Convicts of sin and of righteousness and shows us the things that are broken down in our lives where the enemy has run roughshod and allowed into our lives things that we really shouldn't have there. What, what's your response? Does it cause you to weep? Does it cause you to mourn? Does it cause you to pray? You see, the Jewish people, that did not happen to them. It happened to a handful of men, probably some women too. It, it happened in their lives that they recognized what had happened and they said, God, how did we ever get here? The story is actually chronicled for us about where they were as a people at the time this happened in Second Chronicles chapter 36. And you need not go there. You can simply jot it down there in verses 14 through 16. You see, they were filled with idolatry. They were filled with arrogant pride. They had allowed secularism to come in and sweep through the land of Judah. And I would say to you that the church today is in grave danger of being able to say the exact same thing. That the world is creeping into the church faster than the church is moving into the world. That that which should be God's voice and his hands and his feet, the church, the beloved of God, the redeemed of the Lord those who are saved by grace and through faith instead of going out are being filled in with the filth of the world. And it says there, furthermore, all the officials of the priests and of the people were very unfaithful following all the admonitions 
of the nations. And they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. This is the reason that they actually were taken over by Babylon. When the church loses its savor, when we cease being salt and light, when we no longer stand for the things that God stands for, and in fact we are an embarrassment to the Lord, you can count on everything you hold dear being crushed to dust until the Lord again is glorified. And I do believe that if we were to take a show of hands, that most of us personally could say yes and amen, that is true because it's happened in my life. When I have erected temples to foreign gods, when I've allowed the world to creep into my life, the Lord will bring the destroyer to tear those things down. And he did with the Jewish people. And it says, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers. How did he do that? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, finally ending with Malachi. He sent them messenger after messenger after messenger, so much so that Jeremiah said, their ears have become dull of hearing so that they hear not, and their eyes blind so that they see not. You you see, when you walk contrary to what you know about God, you become deaf and blind. You become dumb. You eventually will allow things in your life that you don't even know how that monument got built, but it got built. And the faithful God will tear it down. Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, notice this. But they continually mocked the messengers of God. Man, am I living this now. I can't tell. Well, you know, you just are too authoritative with Scripture. You know, you always say the Bible says. Yes, that's exactly what I say. Hallelujah. But people mock it. They point their finger and say, well, I'm not going to go to that church, you know, because I don't feel good after that message. You know, there are going to be days when you're not going to feel good if you come here for very long. There are days when I don't feel good having to teach it. It's like, Lord, not that passage. despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against the people until there was no remedy. You see, God does have an extreme that he will go to, and he will not cross it. We don't know where that is, but I can tell you this, if you find things being built up in your life that don't belong there, you may get away with it for a while. You may be able to mock God and say, well, he doesn't really care about that behavior. He doesn't really think much about that habit that I've picked up. But know this, Babylon's coming. Whatever you built up, whatever you've put in place to guard yourself so you don't have to deal with the things that God is telling you, you're going to see it crumble one day. For he never sleeps and he never slumbers. The Lord God of hosts sees. It's one of his names. Yahweh sees. He's watching. 
He wants to give grace. He wants to administer mercy. He has no delight in pouring out his wrath, does not want to administer his justice in a way that's harmful. But make no mistake, you build the walls, he'll tear them down if they aren't walls of holiness. If they're walls of anything other than his holiness, they are coming down eventually. We have those old walls, and quite frankly, they need to come down. And God had to tear some down in Jerusalem so that he could build some new ones, and that's the good part that we're going to get to here in a bit. But as I said on Sunday, you got to have the bad news in order to have the good news. Amen? You really do need to understand what the problem is if you really want to have God's blessing in his best. And so Nehemiah defines the problem here. The sinfulness, the idolatry of this rebellious people had caused the city to be broken down. It was in shambles. It was a mess. It was burned with fire. So much so that he would go on to say it was in great distress. That means miserable condition. That's what great distress actually means. It was a reproach. That means it was sharp. It was cutting. It was piercing. When you looked at it, it was like, ah. You ever have those moments where you just grit your teeth and you go, ah. That was Jerusalem. You looked at it and you just went, oh, Lord. The glory of what it used to be, the temple as it used to shine, your people as they cried out your name, as they prayed, you, you could hear the, the word of the Lord being spoken throughout the city all day, every day, and into the night, and no more. And the word came back, and this man of God, Nehemiah, said, oh, the beautiful city of God. You see, they were suffering in misery. They were suffering in calamity. They had replaced the glory of God with sin. And I will tell you something. God is not willing to share his glory with anyone or anything, including your sin. And so if you are a child of God, you can expect that because he has a measure of glory for you, that he's not going to dump it into a sin-filled vessel. He's going to deal with the sin-filled vessel and clean it up so that he can put it back in. It's part of the process. What are some of those old walls that need to come down in our lives? How about anger, bitterness, unforgiveness? What about victimhood? What about that disease you supposedly have? Are there walls around your personal life, your work life? Are there walls around your marriage that are keeping it from shining forth the glory of God? Maybe your walls are filled in with sinful habits. Maybe the foundation of that which is your life is built upon nothing but sinking sand. You see, maybe it's a wall of pornography or the wall of addiction or the wall of a relationship you shouldn't be in or the wall of alcohol or the wall of drugs. Maybe it's the wall of a vile personality that nobody can stand to be around. What are the walls that don't belong in your life that you're hiding behind, that your friends are hiding behind? Is that wall filled in, the chinks, the little cracks in it? Is it filled with a critical spirit? Is it backfilled with a bitter tongue? Is it complaining and whining and grumbling about everything that the Lord has done in your life? 
what's the wall of your city built of? Because if it's built of wood, hay, and stubble, it's coming down. If it's built of the trash of this world, it's coming down. Because God loves us. And he'll tear down the walls that we build up that should not be in our lives. And that's the message of this beginning four verses. And I believe the walls had to come down. Can I say that to you? The walls had to come down. There was going to be no holiness in Jerusalem with the old walls up because the people had gotten complacent. They had grown very comfortable in their sin. They had adopted the the religion of the Canaanites and the Amorites, and they were just as happy bowing the knee to Molech as they were to praising Yahweh, Lord of hosts. And when you do that, it's not as only a shame to the Lord, it's a shame to his name, and it's a shame to the rest of his people. And that's why when a church ceases to preach the word of God, I would say it falls in the category of needing to be torn down. What good is it? Is it a place for Christians to come and hide in their sin? Is it a place where they can come and feel good about their vile behavior? Is it a place where they can simply show up on Sunday and get absolution for Monday through Saturday? I hope not. I don't believe this one is. But there are a lot that are. And you wonder why they're crumbling. You wonder why they sit empty. Maybe your life has been badly burned. Maybe there have been things that have caused your city to look like it's in disarray. Maybe those emotional scars, that great distress that's caused you. Has it resulted in the wall of your witness and your testimony being useless? You see, that's the wall we're supposed to have up. We're supposed to have a wall that is the testimony of the Lord. We're supposed to have a wall that is the holiness of God. We are supposed to look fortified to the world in faith, but we are not supposed to be hiding behind the things the world hides behind. And we for sure aren't supposed to stay behind it so that nobody knows we exist. And so I ask you some simple questions. What about your walls? Are they the ones that belong there because they are of the Lord? Or are they the ones that don't belong there because you're hiding behind them? Only you know the answer to that question. Only you have an idea of what's there that should be there or what's there that should not be there. Do you realize maybe there's an area of spiritual destitution in your life? Are you looking at your life going, man, I I got this nook and cranny over here that just doesn't belong. You see, sometimes I think it's just a matter of a little cleanup. Amen? You know, we get this time of year and you start the snow melts and you start looking at the piles of leaves and junk that was left from last fall and you're going, I need to clean that mess up. You get over there near the fence, and there it is, that wind-blown pile of needles and leaves. I need to pick that up. It's not the whole yard. It isn't the whole property that looks like that. And so I don't want you to get dismayed. Maybe it's just a spot. 
Maybe it's just something that needs to be dealt with. But we can't neglect it. You see, the Lord wants us dependent upon him. As Alan Redpath wisely said in his commentary on this book, 22nd page of Victorious Christian Service, he said, when God takes up a man and uses him in his service, the first thing he does is to show him his, his own utter insufficiency and unworthiness for the tasks at hand. You, you see, if I think I can do it without God, then I'm not doing it for God. If I think I can do it without God, then I'm not doing it for God. I'm doing it for Jeff. I'm doing it maybe so somebody else can come gaze at my beautiful city, my wonderful wall, my gorgeous little deck that hangs out over the sewer. Sometimes the walls in our lives lie in neglect. Sometimes they lie in ruin. Sometimes they simply need to be weeded. And you guys all know this because we live up here in the mountains. It doesn't take a very big crack to fill with ice, and before you know it, you've got a really big crack. Amen? If you happen to be one of those poor people that have a concrete driveway, you know these things. It wasn't built for up here. If you didn't have somebody that pours concrete in the mountains, then what you got is actually a mess. You, you see, that's the deal. You got to take stock of what's going on in your life and find out if it's built the way the Lord wants it or if it's something that you concocted. Did you make it look pretty when it first went in? But now that it's gotten some wear and some use some time, all of a sudden that wall looks like, man, that needs to be redone. It's probably because the Lord didn't build it. That is exactly why David said, unless the Lord build the house, they who build it labor in vain. You see, you can build a monument to you. We can build a monument to us. We can gather together as humankind and say, look what we have done. You say, when I see the, the Burj El Dubai Tower, you know, I look at that thing. It's 2,700 feet tall. It's a half mile in the air. It's a building. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. But it's not so amazing compared to the galaxies that spin in space that the Lord flung out there because he just was having a good day. Got to remember who your God is, and what He wants, and why He does what He does. <laughs> Nehemiah sat down and wept. And your Bible tells us that God is near to those who are broken and of a contrite heart. Amen. But the way of the transgressor is far from Him. The prideful person He casts down. Your Bible tells you. That he is against the proud. That, that he literally finds it distasteful that, that we would try and take his glory. That's why Jesus said there in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When you actually look at your own life, when you look at life in general in the church, 
and you are broken over it because you know it isn't the way it's supposed to be, then you're forced to turn to the only one who can do anything about it. Because there's, there's anything that I've figured out at this stage in my life is I can't fix much. You know, I'm okay at tuning up a bicycle or throwing new spark plugs in or, you know, something. I can do those kind of things. But lives, only Christ can fix them. Marriages, only the Lord can fix them. Brokenness in a relationship, only God's big enough for that. I just need to say what he's already said. I need to reinforce what he's already done. I need to be a witness for the power that he has not for any good thing that I have done. God still demands that we face the facts in our own lives. His principles have not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So what he said to the children of Israel is still applicable for us today. He's still the same. Moving on to verse 4, it says, And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, and mourned for many days, and I was fasting. And then verse 5, he goes on to say, praying before the God of heaven. And he said, I pray, Lord God of heaven. How many of God ever thought about that? Who do you pray to? You pray to the Lord God of heaven. Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, glorious, Beyond compare is your name. That's who you're praying to. You're not praying to the ceiling. You're not, you're not uttering some words that some dude wrote down in a book. You're not pulling out the common book of prayer and regurgitating something that somebody wrote down. As, as wonderful as it may have been when they first spoke it, you are praying. You are offering your petition to the Lord God of heaven the creator of the universe, the one who fabricated you from dust, the person who knows your comings and your goings, your beginning and your end, the hairs if you have any left on your head, (laughs) and the fact that you have none if you have none. You're praying to the Lord God of heaven. You're not just, oh, you know, I've listened to some pretty lame prayers in my life, I have to admit. (laughs) Oh, great and awesome, mighty, whatever. You know, it's just like, no, there's a God in heaven who hears your prayers. Thank you, Jesus. I'm real glad it's just not an exercise in being able to use the English language. Amen? Amen. I pray, Lord God of heaven, oh, great and awesome God. Does that sound like somebody who's not confident in who he's praying to? Great and awesome God. Do you believe in a great and awesome God? One who can take a burned out city, a ruined city, a destroyed what used to be a sanctuary, and rebuild it? You who keep your covenant and your mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Notice who he does that with. It doesn't say, you who keep your covenant and your mercy with those who are in direct disobedience. That's how they got there in the first place. They were in direct disobedience to the commands of the Lord, and God is under no obligation to keep his covenants with people who are disobedient. So when somebody says, well, I don't know why God doesn't bless me. 
Look at your life and find out where the deficiencies are and look and see if there isn't some rebellion and disobedience that needs to be dealt with, and that's why God's blessings aren't flowing to you. You cannot have God's blessings without obedience, period. He may bless you because he's providentially caring for the whole world, but if you want his best, give him your best. It's that simple. For those who love you and keep your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servants, which I pray before you now night and day for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Notice he doesn't say those stinking, rotten people you gave me. Those lousy, I can't believe it. I've been here all holy, you know, here in Babylon. I'm, You know, I was here, and the Persians came in, and I've been holy before you, Lord. And those dirty, rotten rats, those absolute, that filth of the world back there in Jerusalem who won't do anything to please you, God, them. He includes himself. He says, we... Family of God, we are the body of Christ. And if your life's a mess, some of that falls on me. Falls on my family. If our lives are a mess, that falls on our nation. It falls on our community. It affects our children. We're not in this alone. And we rise and fall to some degree together. And so he says... We've sinned against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes, the ordinances. He says as much as you can say about the law of God. He says, Lord, whether you commanded it, whether it was a basic ordinance, whether it was something that you simply told us we ought to do because it was good for us, which you commanded your servants Moses, your servant Moses, remember, I pray, the word that you commanded to your servant Moses saying, if you were faithful, if you were unfaithful, excuse me. You see, God had told him what would happen. God's told us what will happen. Sometimes you go, oh, I don't know why God did that. Yes, you do. And you knew before it happened. And so do I. Because God's not going to hold you accountable for something you don't know. He will hold you accountable for what you do know, not for what you don't know. But because we do know, that's why you get in trouble for rebellion. You're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, notice this. They got the good and the bad, amen? You're unfaithful, I'll scatter you amongst the nations. But if you return to me, notice notice how both sides are given. And keep my commandments and do them. Though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. You see, it's the very same thing that's pictured in the life of the prodigal son, isn't it? Nobody forced the prodigal son, hey, you know, you should just uh, go down there and hang out with pigs. Just thinking, you know, slop looks really good on Thursdays. You know, there's some corn in there. And, oh, it is, wow, I don't know how you can resist that. 
And so the Lord says, when you wake up and have that aha moment, that epiphany, the light bulb goes on, you go, bing, I'm in the wrong place. And you return. The Lord is just as quick to say, welcome home. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. For the God of second chances and thirds and 847 billionth chances. Some of you, we can't count that high. Run out of time. Amen. The farthest part of the heavens. You know what that is? He's saying, if you were to go so far that no one could see you, I'll gather you from there. Hallelujah. And bring to the place which I've chosen as a dwelling place for my name. You know what that's another word for? It's a phrase that means to abide. The place that I've chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Guess where that is with you? It's in you. He abides in you and you in him. As we're seeing in Ephesians, we are found in Christ and he in us. And now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. And, O Lord, please hear. And let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. Let your servant prosper this day, I pray. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So Nehemiah opens this book with this amazing prayer that begins to be laid out before us. You see, prayer is the foundation of tearing down the old. book of Colossians says to put off the old man, amen, and to put on the new, amen. You know what that means? Tear down the old walls, get rid of the garbage, level the old debris, kick it off of where the new wall is going to go, get it out of your life before you build the new one. You know what I see a lot of times? People trying to build new walls on top of a garbage dump. Not willing to get rid of the old wall. I like that wall. It's a really nice wall. I invested a lot of money in that wall. You know, that crack addiction took me a long time to get that wall built up, you know? I've been in this relationship for five years. We've been living in sin for five years, and I am absolutely, I'm invested. You know, I think I'm going to try and build this new wall right on top of the old one. You know what we call that? Stupid. D-U-M-B dumb. Yeah, if you know anything about anything regarding construction, the last thing in the world that you want to do is try and build something new right smack dab on top of something that's already fallen apart. Amen? If you do that, you end up with the Winchester Mystery House. Okay? What you get? Stairways to nowhere. You got the doors that open to the, you know, a 20-foot drop to the ground. You, you, You see... We must be willing to let the Lord remove the old before the new gets built. And that's what Nehemiah's prayer is about. He said, Lord, hear our prayer. Man, we have blown it. We sinned against you. It's our fault. 
It's nobody else's fault. It's not my mom's fault. It's not my dad's fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's not my kid's fault. It's not my president's fault. It's not Congress's fault. It's my fault, Lord. I did it. I sinned against you. Because he includes himself in the we. He says, it's me, Lord. I'm the problem. Can I tell you that's a tough prayer to pray? We don't like to acknowledge our own issues, do we? Oh, we're quick at picking out everybody else's issues. But to say, you know what, Lord, i got a part in this. You know what I found after 20 years of marriage counseling? There's always two people involved. Always. I haven't met a holy spouse yet. I haven't. I have not once counseled a couple to where one person was totally right and the other person was totally wrong. There's always pieces that belong on both sides. There may be one who, if you will, was more guilty, but guilty still are both. We have sinned against you. You see, when I include myself, you know what happens? I stop pointing fingers. And I stop poking people in the chest and go, see what you got us into? I go, Lord, why didn't I stand up when I saw that coming? Lord, how come I wasn't bold enough to say something in that person's life? Why did I let it get that far? Yeah, they did it, but I had a chance to say something and I was silent because I didn't want anybody to not like me. I didn't want to have a conflict. If you haven't figured this out, the Christian life is one of conflict. You're going to have some wars occasionally. There will be battles. And you're going to have to fight them. You know, if you've served in our military, just because you happen to not be at a forward operating base doesn't mean you're not in the war. Amen? You're still, you're still engaged in the warfare. Maybe you're part of warfare as logistics. Maybe you're in communications. Maybe you're flying around in an AWACS. Maybe you're back at some base in the United States monitoring all this stuff, but you're still in the war. That's the same thing with us as the body of Christ. For the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. For are not all the body? We're all in it together. What's your first instinct when you find out that something's wrong? Do you pursue God in praise? Do you say, great and awesome God? Do you immediately recognize the only place you can go is to the Lord? You know, sometimes people come, and and again, I'm certainly grateful to, to be able to be there to share with people and to talk and share Scripture with them, go through things with them. But I can tell you this. I got no bottle of magic pills in my drawer. I don't have any special cure-all scriptures where I just read it and all of a sudden, I'm fixed. I'm praying to the God of heaven that the God of heaven himself would come into that person's life and work. And people sometimes get a little miffed. You're going to tell me to pray, aren't you? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to tell you several things. I'm going to tell you to pray. I'm going to tell you to read your Bible. And then I'm going to tell you to go do it. 
See, because it doesn't do you any good to read it and not do it. It doesn't do you any good to pray if you're not praying to the God of heaven. And if you read it and you do it, then you're probably going to get some results. It's a pretty safe counseling tactic. You see, his, his appeal is to the tender mercy of God. Do you pray to a tenderly merciful God? You sure do. He's not sitting there going, oh, I just can't wait till he... You ever have one of those things when you were a kid? You knew as soon as you got home you were dead. Death awaited your arrival. When you, when you got to the driveway, all of a sudden, you know, your knees began to shake and your hands trembled and the sweat ran down your brow because you knew you were guilty as sin. And you knew as soon as you came in the house, out came the belt. I want to see you in the room. There was no mercy. There was no grace. Just death. There was one penalty for everything. I want to beat you. I see, I grew up in the area where you could still beat your children legally. I think we might need to get back to that, actually. Spare the rod, spoil the child. You, you, you see, this is that type of a prayer. It's like, Lord, I know who you are. I trust you. And if you need to spank us, you're going to spank us. And if you want to pour out blessing on us, you'll pour out blessing on us. And if you want, to, want us to pay for this ourselves, we'll pay for it ourselves. If you, if you want to pick up the tab for it miraculously, you'll pick up the tab for it miraculously. You are the Lord God of heaven who abounds in mercy. You don't get what you want. You get what he wants. You see, it's his will, it's his words, his walk, it's his way. That's what we do. God demands that we mourn over it. God, God looks at you and I, and, and there is almost no blessing until we look down deep inside and go, God, change me. God, whatever my part is, I want to take responsibility for it. If you won't do that, you're going to walk in, in defeat a great deal of the time. If you will not take some introspection, then you can count on some extra difficulty in your life. Because the only other way to get the same result is to beat it out of you. God doesn't want to do that. He wants you to look at your life and say, I have sinned against you, and change. But if you won't, because he loves you, God chastens those whom he loves. Amen? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You see, you have the opportunity to make it as painless as is possible. And so did the children of Israel. They, they, they could have lived, you know, that Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and cease their wickedness, I will heal their land. It's a huge if. That's our part. 
I need to look inside and go, what's my part, God? And I need to turn from that. And when I do, I get the easiest path possible. I'm not proclaiming to you that you won't go through any hardship in life. I am saying to you, that is the easiest path possible when you have erred, when you have sinned against the Lord, when you've built up a wall that doesn't belong in your life. You see, better for you to find it out and confess it than for God to have to expose it. Amen? The way we know that? The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Romans, the Carthaginians, the Medes, the Phoenicians. God's saying, I want you to be holy. I want you to declare my name to the peoples of the world. I desire for you to live a life that's well-pleasing to me, that shows the rest of the world what I'm like. But if you won't do it, I will show you what it's like to live after your own flesh. And therefore, they were scattered to all of the nations of the world. wasn't God's desire to do that. They chose that path. And you too can change that path. We can choose that path. The church can choose that path. That's a bad path to choose. Because God has consistently done exactly the same thing. And he says, if that's what you want... I'll let you have it for a season. You build up your own fortress, your own monument to yourself. You live in it. You hide in it. You tell the world, you built it. This is your doing. And then I'll tear it down so that you don't trust in it anymore. You don't want to do that. And neither do I. He says, we have acted very corruptly against you and not kept your commandments. Notice the focus here on doing what God says to do. Amen. That's what keeping the commandments is. That's why when people come to me, well, you know, I, I just I just believe in grace, man. Grace, man. You do not have the bountiful benefits of grace unless you were obedient. You don't have the bountiful benefits unless you were obedient. You may be saved. But you're going to have happen to you exactly as Scripture says. You will be saved as though through by fire instead of by grace. Sometimes people go, well, you know, I just, you know, I think I can keep doing this. I've had people look me in the eye and tell me they are okay with things that God has clearly said he's not okay with. That's what we call thumbing our nose at our parents. You remember those things as a child? I'm not doing it. Okay, I'll do it. (laughs) Now imagine you're praying to the Lord God of heaven. If he's able to bless you abundantly, how much power do you think he has to chastise you? You don't want to bring that upon your head, do you? I don't. I don't want to test God. I don't want to lose my assurance. I don't want to walk around going, man, I I hope I'm not here when Dad gets home. You know, maybe mom will come home first. That never worked in our house, by the way, because she would just say, wait until your father gets home. You see, these promises really, and people don't like to hear this, are very conditional upon obedience. There are many things that God has declared about himself that you only get when you're obedient. 
There are certain things that you get by grace. You can be saved by grace and through faith. But if you want God's blessing, you better be obedient. Otherwise, you will get his chastening. You can have whichever you want. I don't know about you, but I kind of like good stuff, not bad stuff. You see, Nehemiah basically reminds God of his gracious promises. He says, God, this is what you said, and I believe you. Are you brave enough to pray that? God, this is what you said, and I believe you. You promised. I believe you. You boldly proclaimed in your word that this is what would be my end if I did what you said, and I'm keeping you to your word. And that's not a prideful thing. That is a righteous faith thing. That's called trusting God. That's why when somebody comes to me, well, you know, how do you know? I know because of my God. I trust him because of what he has declared about himself. And if I don't, I don't have much business being a pastor. Because if I don't believe it, then basically this is a show. And if I don't live it, then basically this is a sham. I've got to live it. My wife and I have to live by faith. We have to trust our kids to the gracious hand of the Lord, just like you do. God has given us Christians great promises. He's given us claim to those promises that we affirm the right walls that are built up in our lives, not the ones that shouldn't be there, but the ones that should be there. Praise the Lord that his word declares to us, those who are of a steadfast mind, he will keep at perfect peace if he trusts in you. For if you trust the Lord forever, he is your rock and your strength and your shield and your portion and your strong tower. Amen? Those are promises from the Lord. When I place myself in his hands, I have his promises to rest in. And that isn't, you know, some health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine. That's saying, God said so, therefore I believe it. Period. I can believe that about my sin, my failures too. Amen? 1 John 1, nine says, We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? That's a promise. That's what his word says to you. So don't walk around in that defeat because you've had a failure. Confess it. Admit it. Let him take it and deal with it and cleanse it and then walk in victory. That's what his word says. I can do how many things through he who strengthens me? Amen. That's a promise. My God shall supply how many of your needs? Those are promises. Amen. Those are the walls your life is supposed to be built out of. Not the other garbage. Not the stuff that you trust in. We're to trust in Him. I I remind God of His promises. God, you said. You promised. And I believe you. That's faith. That's walking by faith, not by sight. Sight's pretty deceiving at times, amen? Especially if you have eyes like mine. I take off my glasses, you guys look like aliens. (laughs) Some of you are aliens. (laughs) You see, we can trust God with His promises. He knows how to administer them. 
We just say, Lord, you said, and I believe. God's looking for a vessel that's willing to do that. Nehemiah spends four months praying over this stuff before he embarks on chapter 2. That's why he says, I beseech you, Lord, hear my prayer. Be attentive to the, to the prayer of your servant and to your servants. Lord, we're all praying the same prayer. We know what you said, God, and we're asking you to do what you said. That's why Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his, then all these things will be. Yeah, amen. Who are you crying out to? Who are you talking to? Who are you asking? Are you asking for God? Or are you asking for more of you? We need to be asking more from the Lord. And trusting him with the results. Lord, what would you have me to do? means we submit to what he wants. We don't demand what we want. We submit to what he wants. Amen? Can I tell you, God sometimes puts things in your life that we don't want? Amen? But who knows best? He does. That's why it's so important. We trust him with it. We just say, God, I don't know why you've allowed this thing in my life. I really don't know. But I do know you. I don't get why this event has occurred, but I know you. And I'm going to trust you. You see, Nehemiah is a thousand miles away. He's saying, God, I trust you. I don't know what I'm going to find when I get there, but I trust you. There is a mess of unfathomable size, but I trust you to fix it. You get the picture? This is a man who is bold in his prayer life. One who is unashamed of allowing the Lord to do whatever excavation of the old he needed to do to build the new. And if that meant a tough job light ahead, Nehemiah was okay with it. If that meant hardship was going to come, Nehemiah was okay with it. He was praying something like this. Lord, something's got to happen. Something's got to give. Do something. Anything. Send me. Uh, Just like Isaiah prayed, amen? Here am I, send me. I don't know a thing about building walls, but I know the God who builds them. That's boldness in prayer. You see, a person like that can accomplish great things for the kingdom and will. Because it's not on you, it's on him. You're saying, God, you said so. I believe you. I'll join you in whatever you're doing. And submit to his will. It's that same prayer that Jabez prayed. It's William Carey, the father of really the modern missionary movement, but certainly the Inland China Mission said. He said, expect great things from God then you can attempt great things for God. It's huge. You see, if I believe him for what he says, then I have the boldness to go try great things for him. If I don't believe what he says, then everything is frightening. Nothing looks like it can be accomplished. 
If it lies with my resources, my abilities, the world's in trouble. But if I'm praying to the God of heaven, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who abounds in mercy, the one who is able when I am not, then I can rest in that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for both the destruction and the construction in our lives. And Lord, we we know that sometimes you need to tear down the things that we've built up. Lord, those human traits, those characteristics that just hinder us from being able to be used of you. Lord, that's true for us as persons. That's true for us as a people. God, that in every church there seems to be things that are made of man. And God, we ask that you would just examine us and that we would examine ourselves and be open to the things that need to come down so that you can build up, so that we can have the boldness to ask of you to do anything. Lord, send us out with joy and lead us with peace. Cause us to to be men and women of prayer, men and women who are unashamed to look inside and weep and mourn and repent. And Lord, even invite you to do the hard things in our lives. And we do so because we love you. And we do so because we trust you. God, make us into a glorious, shining city. Lord, rebuild the walls as you see fit. Cause us to be a bastion for your name. And with the banner over your church, be loved. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.